Hello and welcome back to the Authentic Artistry podcast with me, Kitty Bazalgette, as your host. This is the podcast in which we explore what it means to find authenticity as a performer. How do we find it? How do we express it on stage? And to try and answer just some of those questions that it throws up for yourself in the process. All of the things that don't quite fit into a minute and a half video on Instagram. Before we get started today, I just want to remind you that if you are enjoying the podcast and these conversations, you can give us a rating and review on the podcast platform that you are listening to this on. That is super helpful in getting this podcast listened to by more wonderful creatives. Now grab yourself a cup of something and let's get into the podcast. My guest today is a critically acclaimed composer described in 2020 as one of the UK's most exciting music makers by Classic FM and recognised by the Women of the Year Lunch 2021. Her focus is on positive change storytelling, collaborating with artists who reject the phrase, this is how things are done here. She has been commissioned by BBC Radio 3 in 2020 and 21 the Don Foundation and East London Music Group in 2022 and composed and co-produced opera. She has scored two multi-award winning films, AstraZeneca, The Attack and The Fell We Climb and is currently scoring a feature length documentary. Her album, Lemon Verbena, written with poets Joe Brandon, will be released in winter 2023. Her song, This Little Rose, is in Trinity College London's Grade 8 singing exam syllabus. Scores of her works can be purchased from her website and found in most music conservatoires' UK libraries. Ella Jarman-Pinto, thank you very much for being here today. It's going to be so exciting to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to speak to you. Now, I always start with five questions that I ask to all my guests. And the first one is, what does authentic artistry mean to you? Authentic artistry means to me, it means a lot of things, but I think it's the constant, it's the constant searching or reevaluating of what it means to be yourself and therefore what it means to bring yourself into the work that you are creating or performing. Um, And I think it's about questioning what you have learned, questioning what uh, ideals have been um, fed into you through your tuition or through just the way things are at the moment and saying, is this true for me? And is it true for the people around me? And I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult, I think being authentic and especially in your artistry is a difficult thing because it's, because it's not smooth sailing and there's lots of questions and there's lots of back and forth and disagreeing with yourself as well as disagreeing with other people. It also makes people around you think in ways that maybe they aren't willing to do. So sometimes it can be quite lonely. Mm, that's such a, a multi-layered and, and really in-depth answer. I love that. And there's this sense of which I now now think about again because of course I think about authentic artistry and what it means a lot and I love hearing from every different person who I talk to what it means to them and I love that you make that qualification of the re-evaluation that the idea of authenticity and what it means to be you can can keep changing and it's okay to question that and that's often where the the fight can sometimes come from 
Yeah. And I feel like that fight is the authenticity, you know, like it's not about finding the true you. The finding is the questioning. It is the development and the reevaluation and that within your artwork, that is, that is the authentic experience, you know, because if you, if you aren't able to share that, then it's almost like, let me put it another way. That's it's the growth, you know. It, and sometimes you think, I would like to not, I would like to not grow right now, please. <laughs> I would, I would like to just, just to be as I am, and to have things a little bit easy for. That would be really nice. I'd like not to grow, but the growth, and I also find sometimes the 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 for me composing aids the growth, and the growth aids the composition process. Mm. So that for me is the authenticity. It's not trying to be someone else. It's not trying to make things easy for myself. It's it's the constant reevaluation of what I have been told and what I've been taught to believe is correct. And I feel that I personally, I look to society, I look to history, I look to my own heritage. I'm a mixed heritage, African descendant and British cis woman. And, you know, I... I have to reevaluate what society tells me in order to feel that there is a chance of my thriving. <laughs> mm. You know, that's so true. Yeah. Often we end up realizing that we are, are believing things or acting in a way that is something that society has told us that we sh- should be like. And actually maybe the or maybe the more authentic way for us to be is is not like that. So we do have to keep reevaluating to to think okay how can I walk in my most yeah most comfortable most and not even comfortable most feeling my most my most authentic self and sometimes that isn't comfortable no (laughs) it's really not that's something I've learned the hard way and I'm now learning okay in order to be authentic I have to learn how to look after myself you know that's 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 a huge mm. part of it. Um, but also what's interesting is that throughout history, art, music, literature um, has always kind of been a way of protesting and of change and of moving society in certain directions. And I had a thought the other day, you know, we've been saying about the government, certainly in the UK government, um, We've been saying, you know, why aren't you supporting musicians and, you know, this this multi-billion dollar industry in your in your country? Why are you not supporting people after the pandemic? And I had a thought the other day. It was like, well, maybe because they know how powerful it is. Maybe they they know how strong it is. They know how much change it can bring and they know how we can change stuff which doesn't kind of work in the conservatives benefit and I'm sorry to go so political but actually I'm not sorry to go political but I'm just yeah Um, (laughs) but you know like why are we actively being shut down in this country why are we actively not being supported well we are dangerous we are dangerous to the status quo that's what we are I totally agree and I was having similar thoughts like not not so long ago that we we are sitting on something and on a group of people who in general they threaten the conservatives agenda and they don't want to give us the possibility and the power of Mm. um, spreading our message as as far as it could go and 
but thing is, we're a stubborn bunch. So even if there's no money, we'll carry on doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, you've just spoken to me. <laughs> I'm literally, you know, when you just like, I'm at that point now where I'm like, you know, I'm doing really, really well. And I'm being really honest here. I'm doing really, really well in my career, but financially it's nothing. There is no, I'm working for less than minimum wage. And I'm, I mean, there's an area of privilege there that allows me to kind of just keep kind of trucking on a little bit, but it's getting to the point where it's like, no, my family has to eat. My mm. family has to eat. And, you know, we can't just be a one income household. And, but it's like, I do feel a bit like a stubborn bug. You know, one of those kind of fly, you know, horse fly, you know, it gets on you and it bites you and you're whacking it off and it won't go away. I don't know why I'm comparing myself to a horse fly. But anyway, <laughs> I feel very stubborn because I'm like, I know I can make change with my music. I can change my little corner of the universe. I don't even need to change a universe. I need to change like my world and just the small amount of people around me and change things for them and just find a way to connect with people through my music because I know that that is where my that is my purpose in life I know that that is my purpose in life so yeah we are stubborn it's determination as well I think yeah 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 I mean stubbornness <laughs> and determination I think are like they're they're from the same family <laughs> mm, yeah and I don't I don't feel stubborn as a bad thing because stubborn is my middle name so <laughs> I see it's really really positive but yeah, it's it's that thing of if you don't pay the people who are making the change, it's the same with activism as well. You know, a lot of people burn out and you lose a voice. You lose a voice, which means that then the status quo prevails. Mm. And I I really don't want, I'm not going to give up. This is not, this is not going to happen. But like, I really don't want to have to divert my energy elsewhere, which then dilutes the work that I'm doing in the music that, you know, Pretty much, and I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna blow, you know, blow my own trumpet here. Pretty much, for it. every performance I have, there is someone who cries, and I don't, I don't need everyone to cry, and I'm sure there are people who hate it. That's fine, and I'm not gonna say I am like the next Beethoven generation or the next Florence Price or Clara Schumann. Like, I am, I, I am just me. I am just Ella Jarman Pinto writing the music that works for me and for my audience. And I don't need to be the best. But if someone cries during my performance because I've touched them in a good way, then that's what I that's what I'm there for. You know, I've I've changed something for somebody. I've shifted something for somebody who will there go then go on and shift something for someone else. That is my goal mm. with my music. That kind of personal that's... connection. And I refuse to dilute it. So someone hire me. <laughs> And buy my scores and sing my songs and send them else everywhere, you know? <laughs> this will be this will be the clip that goes onto Instagram. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> I always do this. I always get completely distracted by so many beautiful, interesting things that come up in the very first question. Let's go to the second question. Mm. What are three qualities or capabilities in other musicians or creatives that inspire you? Okay. I've I've I'm not gonna be able to stick to three, so I probably just like quick fire some things. I like honesty. So I really value when people are able to say how they're feeling. I really value when people are able to move through misunderstandings. I really value being 
told in a kind way <laughs> that I've got something wrong so that I'm then able to apologize. Uh, these are all things that I'm trying to do for myself as well. Um, it's hard to then bring that back. Uh, I'm not necessarily interested in excellence in terms of, you know, musician quality. You know, if I'm, if I'm working with a musician, I don't need excellence from that musician. I need someone who is willing to challenge themselves within the context of what I'm writing and the personal relationship between the two of us in the way that I will also challenge myself as well. And I will write to your capabilities. That's, that's you know, I like writing for people because then I can write to their capabilities. I don't need people to be perfect. I need to be able to get on with people. I don't need people to be perfect, but I, I do enjoy it when there is an element of flow back and forth within the relationship of understanding other people's needs and my needs and your needs and 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 accepting of whatever care I might try to give you and and also saying you don't need to, you don't I don't need that care but thank you you know it's it's yeah telling me what you need and honoring that for yourself as well as me then being able to honor it for you I, that was more than three qualities but yeah <laughs> I think it comes it comes back to the kind of what kind of summarizes what you just said for me is this kind of two way two way street I guess mm. like whether it's in a personal way or or a professional way mm. that there there is openness and like you as a as a composer working with others that there can be conversation between between what's going on it's not like you have to you have to sing or play exactly what I've written and I, there's no other way of doing it mm. which is sometimes the the way that we kind of view composers of the past like that there's not this conversation or 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 kind of collaborative experience because in a way we can't because they're dead yeah but <laughs> but we end up kind of putting them on a pedestal rather than kind of using our own agency or or um, intuition or or artistic desires mm. to to create something new and it's I think the weight of history sometimes sits on people's shoulders as opposed mm. to when you're working with a living contemporary composer who you can have this back and forth with and they can be open and flexible with with you but you'll be surprised how many people don't make the most of that I mean I mean I probably should shout it from the rooftops more but Whenever I know that someone is going to perform my music, I will say to them, please, if you want to send me a video of you performing, you know, of rehearsing for me to give you feedback, if you have any questions about anything, like seriously, just get in touch, like do it. I'm really happy to give mm. you that feedback and I'll be nice about it. I'm not going to, you know, be mean or anything because I, I want people of all experiences and capabilities to to perform my stuff. And I think there's a fear, there's a fear of of kind of, getting it wrong or or maybe it's just a time issue but it's very rare that people do come and ask me and I think I'm I'm here I'm living I'm 34 I've got fingers crossed a few years ahead of me in that you can come to me and you can note down what I say you know you coming to me will also encourage me to go ah maybe I need to think about the notation in a different way um this is why I love collaborating with performers because I can't do it on my own. <laughs> you know, I mean, music's not supposed to be experienced on your own. I mean, I like to sit on my own and kind of, you know, stream 
music out but ultimately if someone isn't performing it what's the point <laughs> um i mean you know there are i'm, I'm, I'm the reason why i've said that in that way because it's like i've just changed my mind and there is a point sometimes of playing music and um creating music for yourself and there is a purpose there but if it is for performance and you're not collaborating with the performer and you're not then negotiating with the performer as a human being not as a performer as a human being and enabling that performance to be safe for them challenging yes safe enjoyable something that they will come away from at the end of and go ah that was worth my time you know if you're not doing that what is the point (laughs) yeah and that's a that's a two-way process as well I think performers can take some responsibility for making sure that they can create that safety for themselves but especially if you're working with a pianist a composer other musicians there's a kind of group responsibility to create that Mm. that safety and within which you can do your best like that's what everyone wants in in the end next question what was the last concert that you went to okay I had to look this up (laughs) (laughs) luckily it was actually recently so it was um Eternal Triangle, which was featuring Trevor Watts, uh, Varian Weston and Jamie Harris with support from Blue Jam Jazz. And that was at Blue Jam Art Space in Penrith, which is where I am based. And the Blue Jam Art Space, Blue Jam Arts was created by, was set up by my mum. And so most of my musical education was through that organisation with a number of other incredible young musicians who are now... um, doing incredible things out in the world and um it's just you know yes my mother you know you could say oh you've been through this thing that was created by your mother no some people don't do well being taught by their parents (laughs) I am one of them so so being able to kind of learn music (laughs) through this incredible organization that gave me just an experience of creating music with people without being topped out, you know, not it's non-hierarchical, it was peer-led. We were really able to kind of explore. And so Blue Jam, you know, it's been going, it's its 21st year anniversary this year. Um, and this was just a really nice concert to go to because usually I'm the one at home with the kids because my husband's usually involved in them. He's a, a trumpet player and a music therapist. And um, so I was like, Jeff, I want a babysitter you're doing this gig I want a babysitter so he got a babysitter and I got to go to the gig and it was nice (laughs) I know that was supposed to be quick fire but I have to plug blue jam where I can (laughs) of course please plug plug away if you could have dinner with any musician performer artist throughout history so living or or dead who would it be and why I'm gonna be honest I hate this question (laughs) um because I'm usually not curious about how people were because the people I am curious about their their stories are usually so painful so for example Florence Price you know Samuel Coleridge Taylor Clara Schumann you know like there's a lot of pain in those stories and I know there's a lot of pain in the you know in the white male composers who dominate the canon but this pain sort of feels quite close and The thing I would say, though, is I was thinking about this and I'd say Samuel Coleridge Taylor, because I would have a dinner, I would have dinner with him and I would say, don't sell your rights, mate. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Because if he hadn't, he died through uh, poverty related illnesses. 
um, if he hadn't, he was one of the most famous composers at this time. He met the American president, which for a black man meeting the American president was not very often, <laughs> didn't happen very often. And he vanished into history once he died at 37. Like, just don't do it, man. Keep your rights and then you'll have a few more years ahead of you, hopefully. And we might actually remember who you are. I think there's so, so much, like a, a world of music that has been forgotten mm. through the passing of time. And for me, one of the things that I've liked since, I think the main part of it has happened since I graduated my bachelor, which was four years ago. And I started to kind of look at other composers who weren't in the in the syllabus. And yeah, that included... Florence Price, Samuel Coleridge-Taylor, William Grant Still, Amy Beach, people like that. And I was just, I was kind of astounded by this wealth of, of music that is just not well enough known by people and that is put, pushed to one side. And that during their lifetimes, they had so much success and it's kind of just pushed under the carpet a bit and even now I think there's there's more also there's more groups like ensembles and more orchestras who are playing them but not nearly to the level of that they're still doing mm. Mozart, mm. Beethoven, Brahms you know and there's that's also wonderful music but let's tell the stories of of people who who not everybody knows and that gives a much more representative view of what music making and composition and the classical music world was like during these times mm, it wasn't just white mm, men <laughs> yes and I would say that people haven't been forgotten people have been written out of history there's active whitewashing going yeah on. yeah active and I'm gonna say male washing going on you know if you didn't meet the status quo and I don't have examples now but there are examples of people you know you know musicologists to say nope nope I'm going to find a way to make sure that you are seen as mediocre and we're going to forget that you exist. And this is this is something that for me, I am so, so focused on my legacy. And the the reason is, is because I've seen what happens. You know, I can have whatever success I want now, but in the future, who's going to be remembered? It's still going to be Beethoven, it's still going to be Mozart. If we're still focusing on one or two people from 200 to 300 years ago, that is a huge disservice to the people that we are training up now. What future do they have? And I'm focused on my legacy. Yes, in part for myself, because I'm a human being and I'm inherently selfish and I will own that. But I'm also really focused on my legacy because I was miserable <laughs> during college. I was miserable. I didn't see anyone who looked like me. I didn't see anyone who was like me. My mum was told mm. um, when she was, um, she wanted to be a composer. She When she went to the careers advisors, when she was in school, said, I want to be a composer. They said, why don't you be a composer's secretary? Oh my God. That's my mum's legacy. I'm the one who was able to then take the next generation. I mean, she is a composer. I was the one who was then able to take the next generation and to go, okay, I'm going to study composition itself. But then still I'm not being... I'm not being shown who who exists. I'm not being shown the people who exist. And then when you are shown, you get the constant things of, oh, they're only being shown because they're a woman. Oh, they're only being shown because they're black. We need excellence. And if they don't exist, it's because they weren't excellent or they just don't exist. There just aren't enough people. This is all bullshit. 
It's absolute bullshit. And there's this whole thing going on at the moment with, um, you know, this 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 conversation about Forjac's music being five times cheaper than Florence's Price's music, and therefore, how is DNI going to be, you know, diversity and inclusion going to, you know, get anywhere? And I'm like, reparations, reparations. Yeah, my music is, and I'm going to say, it, my music is three or four times more expensive than what you would get if I if I was not self published. And the reason why I don't go with a publisher is because they're going to sell my songs for seven ninety nine. I don't want my songs to be sold for seven ninety nine. I've worked hard on my music and I sell them for twenty one pounds. You don't even get a top for that nowadays. It is cheaper than an item of clothing. And that is how much I'm going to sell. Well, it's £22, actually. That is how much I sell my music for. And there's, you know, other areas that are more than that. And if you can't afford it, I sell my music to music libraries so that they are in academic music libraries so you can access them through a library. And if you can't access them through a library, I'm happy for someone who can't afford to to buy my music to get in touch with me and we come to an arrangement. But I am refuse. I refuse to sell my music for £7.99 apart from this little rose, which is 10.99 because I want, um, because it's on the syllabus and I want young people to be able to access that and they won't um, through libraries at that age and that stage of their lives. But I refuse to sell it for less because reparations. I am descendant from slaves, from enslaved people. I am a woman, a cis woman. Up until, you know, last year, I have very clear and concise uh, examples of racism and sexism that I have experienced and I refuse to knock down my prices to put it in line with the bottom line of someone who's trying to sell their music you know no <laughs> I think it's this really important like differentiation between equality and equity mm. we need to be focusing on equity at the moment yes. because like we have to be giving the giving the platform to people to so that eventually we will have equality like we can't just have equality now like we we need to be able to say why we need to be focusing on certain marginalized groups of people through from mm. historically and currently so that we can become on on the same level but of course that comes with a well, yes, you have to relinquish a bit of privilege in order for, for for that to happen. So it's kind of yeah, threatening in inverted commas because people who have experienced privilege, white people, men, they have to let go of something that they've had for up until now mm. and and start giving space to to others. Yeah. And, you know, and within that, I will also recognize my privilege as a cis woman, mm. you know, and someone living in the UK, you know, therefore 1%, you know, the 1% in the world, like I will recognize my privilege and also recognize there are times when I've gone, oh, I don't want to give up that space. And then I go, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> I think I recognize this from the other side. Okay. I can work to give up this space. Um, because... Because if I'm not going to do it, then I can't demonstrate how other people should do it or can do it. Totally. And I think, you know, a lot of people say, oh, why? You know, the music's good enough. Why? And I think, well, if you're going to move away from the humanity angle and, you know, people sort of complain about 
uh, I'm coming back to this Florence Price argument that's currently ongoing um, that I looked at. I was like, no, no, I'm not getting involved. I, I, no, <laughs> we don't need to focus on excellence as a requirement to enter a canon. Music exists. Therefore, music exists within the canon. We don't need to be mm. excellent or better than or the same as. The thing is, is that when you get more of a, an accurate representation of humanity within a certain art form, the art form is going to change because we have lots of different experiences. I wrote for a film uh, once where I was asked to, um, it was talking about um, a certain demographic of people in uh, rural areas and something that is not necessarily shown often, but exists regularly enough. Um, and I wrote something and the feedback that came back to me was like, oh, could we have something a little bit more quintessentially British? It sounds a bit American. And I was like, I've written you music that is from my experience of being part of this demographic and my experience of being in a rural environment as part of this demographic. And you're saying that's not quintessentially British as a British composer writing for your film that is looking to change the way things are viewed. I mean, the, the people listening to your podcast can't see my face right now, but like... Yeah, I can. <laughs> <laughs> Just what? And, and, and Also my yeah. face. Like... <laughs> and the more, that, the more that I talked to this person, the more I was like, oh, you, you want Elgar? No. No, shut up. <laughs> yeah. No, that 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 is a microaggression. No, no. <laughs> yeah, and being kind of explained what what your experience is like, what quintessentially British is for you, but someone who like they've never lived your life, yeah. they have no idea of your experience, <laughs> but they're telling you that what you're doing as a British woman yeah. is not British <laughs> enough. Okay. Yeah. What's that about? And like, there was no pastiche involved. There was there was no pastiche. Like, I wasn't trying to be anything else. And this is something I have an issue with, especially in film music. Like, I wasn't trying to be anything else. I was being genuine with my experience of being part of this demographic and what I'd expect to hear or experience or enjoy, you know, for this for this piece of music. I wasn't trying to be anything else. And yeah, so. I can't remember where we went to. Yes, black ex, you know, so if we're talking about excellence as a woman and as a black woman, I have to be more excellent than the next person next to me. I have to be better than them in order to get a foot in the door. This is usually the case. You have diversity inclusion where, you know, someone who wants the job who is not black or is not female can apply for the job. But if they want to get more people who are maybe black and female, I'm just using this as a demographic, as an example, um, you then have to apply and you have to take part in a competition for a free opportunity where you get some mentoring. So I want a job <laughs> that gets paid yeah. the same amount as them without having to prove myself more than they do. That's what I want. And it's the same in the music industry. That's what we want. And I've gone, I've gone round in circles and I've just remembered what my point was in terms of talking about this film of if you have someone who has a different lived experience from you, the music that you're going to get from that person is different from what you would do or from what you would think they should do. 
And that is the beauty of it. And that is how we ensure our industry survives because it's not surviving right now. Mm. <laughs> and that's, I think, well, I, I want to talk about this after after the quick fire questions. <laughs> yeah, quick fire. <laughs> Um, nothing's quick fire nor me apparently <laughs> as I've learned with in all of my podcasts um that you call yourself a, a storytelling composer and that's the thing like if we're telling stories they're going to be different and we as an industry need to embrace the di- the different stories yes leading on from that slightly last question then we can talk to yeah. our heart's content <laughs> how would you describe your music to, or work to someone who's never met you before? Another question I hate. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and and I think I'm not the only one. Most composers just go, oh no, don't make me describe <laughs> it. Um, it's a good question as well. Maybe the best thing I could do is plug myself a little bit here and be like, I have a lot of music on my website. <laughs> um, please go check it out if you're interested. So I find that if I was to give maybe three of my pieces to somebody who doesn't know me and doesn't know my work, and over the last kind of 10 years of my career, I would and and you know dotted along. I don't think they would think that the three of them were by the same person. Hmm. There's definitely places that I go that are similar in each of my pieces. And what was nice recently was I I played something to my husband. I was like, this this music has come too easy, and I I don't really know whether it's any good or not. Like I haven't got any idea of that just yet because it's come so easy because we were working on it for a long time and it just went woo out we go yay. Um, and he said that sounds like you, Ella. And I was like, boom, job done. Mic drop. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love working with voices. I love working with text. I find text quite hard to process unless it's novel. So music helps me to process it. And I find it helps to give me a story. I love perfect fifths and open harmonies like that. You know, I was told for too long that it wasn't acceptable and piece of music. And now I've decided to embrace it. <laughs> I want to write fifths. I'm going to fucking write fifths. Thank you very much. Um and um I really enjoy kind of intertwining harmonies my music is quite tonal but sometimes sometimes I you know break the mold and also my focus is always on how the audience will interpret it and how the audience is feeling and I'm always interested in having something that's got enough pattern that makes the audience feel like oh okay I know this and then I like to play with it enough to kind of keep the anticipation up a little bit so sometimes performers hate me for that <laughs> not letting them get too too comfortable no 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 the worst thing is if someone is bored listening to my music and usually I find if I'm bored listening to my music then then I need to change it so yeah it's it's I can't talk about it in music terms because that's not the way my brain works but in terms of emotion, I want it to be emotional. I want it to have an effect on the audience. I want the audience to enjoy it. I'm not someone who's going to be like, doesn't matter about the audience, you just write the best music you can. If my audience is not enjoying it, then I've not done my job right. So I use I use ways in that then support that. You know, I've got my little tricks, but I don't use them for manipulation purposes. I use them for storytelling purposes. Yeah, I don't know if that helps. But if you're confused by anything I've said, go check it out on my website. Loads of stuff on there. <laughs> I think so often the audience, like we as performers, musicians, artists, 
that there's so much focus on what we are doing and we forget to well people forget to tell us oh yeah you can also think about like the audience sometimes mm. they're just this kind of oh yeah well they'll be there but you don't have to think about them yes you have to think about them they're the people who are funding your <laughs> your your performance mm-hmm. yeah so that's a that's a really important part that's often forgotten and also like the kind of communication with the with the audience as well like mm. as someone who has to has to walk on stage you, you have to you have to kind of take them in as well yeah it's it's generosity isn't it because I I mean I have performed <laughs> I am a singer and I do perform and have performed professionally as a singer um, more in the kind of the jazz tradition than than classical but I have trained as classically but I'm not very good at it <laughs> I'm good in terms of musically but I'm not very good at kind of getting a story across I'm not very good at acting I'm not someone who would like to act I recently put myself and my writing partner on stage for belly back Jennifer and I decided it was important that we were on stage performing in belly back and it it was a real anxiety driven thing like why did we decide this <laughs> but we had a good we had a good reason for it but someone said something to me which was you've got to be generous because I was just standing there you know as a, as a, as a teenager standing there being like oh I don't want to be here I'm so I'm so embarrassed I just don't want to be on stage like I want to sing but I don't want to be here like someone just said it's just about being generous because if you're generous to the audience the audience is generous to you and generosity can look how it looks for you it doesn't have to be you acting a certain emotion mm. but you could be generous with your emotions about how you're singing or in the case of composition I can be generous to my audience in terms of supporting them to understand this story that I'm trying to convey. How was it that you initially got into composing? I have always composed. So my mum's a composer. I need to say her name, Jilly Jarman. She's not just my mum, Jilly Jarman. Um, <laughs> she's a composer. Uh, my dad is still is, is doing something else now, but he was he was professional musician as well. Um, in the he was doing jazz. My mum was jazz. Um, and uh, my stepdad plays music just like I was surrounded by music all the time my mum was a single parent and she had me two weeks later she went back to work you know running choral workshops quiet choir workshops for adult education and you know pass the baby around <laughs> helps change your singing because you're not thinking about yourself you're being generous to the baby um, so I've just grown up with music but um, I also really struggle to read music I just I just struggle to read music. I struggle to process other people's music unless I'm learning it by ear. And it's something that I've recently discovered as part of being autistic, which I've late diagnosed autistic. I'm like, ah, oh, there's a thing. It's a thing. It's not just me being bad at this. So if you struggle to read music, anyone who's listening, it is genuine. You're not just terrible. And so writing was the easiest way in for me to enjoy music. So writing the piano, I have memories from like age four or five I'm not a decent pianist, but I've played it all my life, you know? Um, and singing, I used to sing in my cot apparently. So yeah, it's just always been something that I do and something I, I gain joy from. Mm. And then when I was 13, I uh, decided, no, I decided at 13, I was like, oh, you know, I, maybe I don't need to do music or anything. And then I saw Lord of the Rings. I was like, oh no, I do. <laughs> I spent years like writing the next soundtrack for the Lord of the Rings only to discover three movies later that it was already done. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so um, 
yeah it's it's always been in my bones but I know my journey is different from other people people can be a composer from whenever they decide that that's something they want to do so no one like take my journey as 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 what anyone else's journey should be but that's that's mine it's interesting that you say that as well because I have a couple of friends who in in the master that we did there's a like a kind of other program so there's a classical music program the the jazz program and then there's another program which is called the new audiences and innovative practice Mm. and uh, a lot of the people who in fact most of them who do it are kind of experimenting with composition after normally after having done uh, a classical music degree and they they want to expand a little bit yeah. And a friend of mine, actually, she, she's she been composing in the last few years and she was saying, oh, I'm finding it really hard to call myself a composer. Even though that she's r- written and writing music, she's a harpist and she's always saying, oh, I find it really hard to call, my, to call myself a composer and to kind of claim that space, the new, mm-hmm. new kind of world, new way of, of seeing herself. So, I, yeah, I like that you say at the end, that's, it's a... It can be different for, for for different people, and I think composition is something that is. I'm also way more attracted recently to contemporary composition because I feel like it's so much more representative of people now, and I find yeah. that I get to, like it's hearing stories and hearing about someone's experience through music, and for me, that's like that's such a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's a way in, isn't it? It's a way in, in a, in a way that we were always told, or certainly my experience was that it was, it was a, an easy way in, you know, it was a, you know, someone had to find their way in through the music. The story doesn't matter. The story behind it doesn't matter. The story matters. Music is to tell stories. I mean, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, we told stories through music it's how we remember things it's a form of memory I can't remember the words to the poems that I set but when I sing it I know every single word couldn't speak it to you you know it's that 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 is what music is that's its purpose and we can change its purpose because I don't want to say this is how things are done here but we can change its purpose but but at the same time we've also got to listen to the heart of it and not divorce ourselves too much from the humanity of music mm. and music making. Yeah. And I, I just, you know, in terms of what you said about your friend, I had a student who was uh, experiencing real kind of composer's block and really kind of learning, you know, learning kind of at the beginning of at the beginning of their journey and the beginning of their career and experiencing composer's block and really just feeling like I'm not, I'm not able to do this. I'm not able to call myself a composer. I'm not and I was like, you know what? You can write a little song in your head and never remember it again and call yourself a composer. And that'd be the only thing you've ever written. You could do that and you're a composer. Because ultimately, who cares? <laughs> you know, like, who cares from the outside? None of what anyone else says about that matters. And ultimately, it's how you feel for yourself. And if you want to claim the name composer, claim it it's not protected profession it's not anything like that you can't you know you can't claim the name music therapist when you haven't trained as a music therapist but you can as a composer because ultimately it's about you and I find that some of the most incredible music that I've ever heard I used to teach um young children age kind of 10 
songwriting. I say songwriting. I called it songwriting to kind of reel them in, but we just did composition. Um, <laughs> no one knows what composition is. So I had this young lad who, and basically we had all these music, musical instruments in this school. And I would say to them, what do you want to play? They would choose the instrument. And I say, would you like me to tune that instrument for you? Or would you like to play it as it is? This young lad said, as it is, thank you very much. I was like, okay, off you go. And the piece of music that he wrote on that untuned guitar, twangy, he's not holding it in the right way. It's just flat on his lap. And he's just found a pattern between all of the strings because the strings are in a different sound and each one is a different pattern. And he played them in different ways. Some of them he's he thwanged and some of them he just like tickled. And, and it still haunts me to this day. That piece of music that he created there is one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. You know, for me, he's a composer. Yeah, and it also, it it gives him and other children a space where their creativity is valued okay and not and not saying oh the guitar should be tuned like this and this is how you should do it no if you want to play an untuned guitar and make a piece of music that Ella Jarman Pinto is going to remember for years afterwards (laughs) you go ahead and do that because that's completely within your right to to do that exactly exactly and that's that's everything you know when I'm teaching that's everything that I'm teaching it's literally just like what do you want to do let's give it a go and sometimes I lose myself and I go oh maybe if you want to do it and then I go no ignore me ignore me (laughs) (laughs) you know if you want advice I could give you advice but other than that ignore me Mm. (laughs) because actually it's about creating that safe space to explore creatively and that that is where the future of music is because that is the way that music and I'm going to say should, the way that music should be. If that is your foundation of creativity, of being allowed to do what moves you creatively and have that come out in the way that feels most authentic to you. And then you can train on top of that. But if you've got that as your base, then everything you write is going to be true to yourself and therefore true to your audience. Totally, totally. I heard you talking about the fact that you were mentored by Anna Meredith mm. and I just wanted to ask what was what was that experience like? What did you learn? Anna Meredith is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I say that she never actually heard any of my music. Mm. I was composer in residence with Streetwise Opera uh, back in I think 2017 and they offered us, um, there were a few of us, and they offered us the opportunity to be mentored. And I was like, Anna Meredith, please. And she said, yes. And so I took a trip down to London and I went to her studio and basically told her I felt like giving up. And she said, no, you absolutely cannot give up. Do not give up. You really can't give up. Don't give up. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And talked me through different ways of looking at, you know, applying for stuff and you know it's one of those sessions where I couldn't tell you what else was achieved in that session I think it was just an hour of her just being like don't give up (laughs) talking to me about what she was doing and that that you know her her words are still in my head you know she 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 felt bad because she hadn't looked at any of my music I was like I don't care you've told me not to give up maybe that was what you needed to hear in that moment that's all I needed to hear I didn't need someone to validate my music or maybe I thought I did at the time, but now I did not need her to validate my music. 
not giving up shouldn't be because of someone's external validation Mm. but don't give up in the way of we need you we need this is how I took it anyway she could tell me if I was wrong but like in the way of we need you we need you not to give up we need and for me we need your your representation like she was for me I'm hoping to be that for somebody else who's coming up behind me you know like my whole goal is about creating a path that other people can walk more easily because we need we need us us to keep going which is another reason why I'm stubborn I'm not going to stop composing even if no one will pay me right now (laughs) I'm I'm exaggerating but still someone commission me um (laughs) we can't give up we have to keep representing and it's a hard slog but actually it's right I think it's really powerful as well to to literally have someone in front of you who you also admire going do not give up do not Mm. do it because then you're kind of Mm. like you respect and admire this person so much and even not having heard your heard your music you can tell that she would have meant it like no this is what like you cannot do that and I think that perhaps makes you reevaluate the 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 mindset a little bit and yeah and what what's going what's going through through your heads what was what were your reasons for thinking about giving up because i didn't know how to make a career for myself i couldn't see any way forward i just had uh, my second child second uh, second child first living i couldn't see any examples of other mothers being composers and not hiding it you know there's there's one thing about being you know a a parent there's one thing about feeling that you have to hide it I don't blame anyone who does feel that they have to hide it Mm. I think we do what we do to get by but I you know I spent four years studying a specific career it's not like I've spent four years studying music and I can kind of decide what I want to do with it I spent four years studying composition and in those four years I wasn't taught how to make a career from it I spent £36,000 on my education and I was not taught how to get that back. I I want to say I had an excellent, excellent education in terms of composition. You know, there are some holes in terms of, you know, other uh, inclusion and all that kind of stuff. But what I was taught was excellent. However, I remember coming to one of my last, one of my last uh, tutorials and saying to my teacher, so how much do you earn? And them going, sorry, what? So how how much do you earn? And this is a four years, four years of this. And uh and they said, um, you want me to tell you how much I earn? And I said, Yeah. Like how much you get paid for a commission? How how much do you earn? And they just went, um, it depends. <laughs> and that was the conversation. <laughs> Oh, wow. I mean, they went a little bit into detail about like different commissions. I charge different. I was like, but you know, a number, a ballpark figure. Is it, is it two hundred quid? Is it you know ten thousand? Is it how how much do you earn? <laughs> and and I didn't have an answer. And that's four years. No one ever tells you that. Like in any of the the like as a as an instrumentalist, as a vocalist, like coming out of like also during my masters, I had a few, I had a few. Uh, external gigs and now I'm having and and I'm like yeah I mean I know what I charge but like and I sometimes talk to a few friends 
about like okay well how much are you like let's kind of work this out am i undercharging am i overcharging i'm not overcharging <laughs> start overcharging <laughs> <laughs> and it's like oh my gosh no one ever told us actually how to how to do no. this like how to how to do the money part that's like the huge part of part of, of having a career it's ridiculous and i'm going to be really i'm going to i'm going to say the money stuff now so for me when i am commissioned i will write you a song voice and piano for a minimum of four thousand pounds that is my minimum if you want a song with like an ensemble it might then go up to six thousand pounds like and that's a lot but you know what that's how much it costs me to do it yeah that's you know I, if for six thousand pounds i will give you six months of my time which actually breaking it down that doesn't feed my family yeah that's not something yeah. we can live off and uh, you know thousand pound a month isn't gonna pay everything for my family as well as you know my um you know my my business costs so i'm not bringing six thousand pounds home and People often see like, oh, okay, they had like a five minute piece and, and they got £6,000 for yeah. it. And it's like, no. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> there's a whole process, yeah. invisible process yeah. to the to the outcome that happens. Like when I, I remember when I told my friend how much I got for, for one concert, she, she works in a pharmaceutical mm. company. Um, and she was like, oh my God, like if I earned, if you did that for the same amount of hours that I did that, you learn so much more than me. And I was like, yeah, but I don't. That's the thing. That's the thing. It's like you get lump sums. You get lump sums and you have to work out practice time, mm -hmm. working with a pianist, a singing lesson, mm -hmm. uh, travel time, all these unpaid things. Yeah. Like when you, when you actually break down, rather than it, the two-hour concert, you break it down into the the amount of hours it ends up being a pittance it's less than minimum wage most of the time yeah. for me less than minimum wage and i you know i have two children at home and um only recently but my, my my husband's recently requalified as a music therapist so we had three years of me being the main earner like i worked my butt off which is why now i'm taking a little bit of a break <laughs> and going i don't need to panic about the money right now because he's got he's got the money right now i can have a break <laughs> and now i need to start panicking about it so six thousand pounds. This is this is not a set fee. You know, this mm. depends on. I'm going to say that someone might come to me and say something and be like, "Oh, you said it's six thousand pounds." No, this is not a set fee. It depends on everyone's different circumstances, um, and what what you're looking to get from it and how much music. But like, what this gives to me is it gives me time to you know, if I get paid six thousand pounds, I don't take on any other work. So the music you have is the music that is yours. I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking mm. about you, your hopes, your dreams for this piece of music. I'm thinking about your desires. I'm thinking about your voice. I'm thinking about your um, your colleagues, the people that you'll be playing with. I'm thinking about your entire concert. I am giving you music for you to feed back to me. Sometimes I do, sometimes it depends on the, the working relationship. Some people don't want to feedback, but sometimes there's feedback like, have a think about this. Do you like this? Sometimes I will come and have a visit with you. I will meet with you regularly throughout this process. I will also pay a copyist to make sure all of this music can be performed by you and, you know, to get an extra um, 
it's, it's famous with composers. You just don't do your own work. <laughs> I mean, some people do, but like me, I'm going to miss everything. I need fresh pair of eyes on this. So I pay a copyist a decent amount of money because they their time deserves to be um, remunerated properly. Um, I will also, if you want hard copies, I will print and pay for that for you. And I will organize that, you know, then we might have revisions after the concert. I will organize that as well. Maybe I need to up my fee. And, um, and then, you know, in terms of publishing, I then publish and I, I, you know, I will publish it separately. So you don't have to organize publishing it so that other people can then access this piece of music. So it's like, there's so much that goes into it, not to mention, you know, the four years of study, the 10 years of, ex well, 10 years, 15 years of experience now. I've grown up a little bit more. And, um, you know, the the rent, the, the, the accountant, the people who help me with my emails, if I have enough funds to, you know, employ a VA, which means I can spend more time on your music. All of this stuff, there is so much marketing. There is so much that goes into this job. I, I spend my days, hours in and out working. And yes, it might only be a five minute piece, but that's what goes into it for you. Yeah. Six months of dedicated, I'm only thinking about you and your artistic and personal qualities. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So no, it's not a cheap thing, but my time isn't cheap. I'm mm. a human being. So yeah. I, I, yeah, like I say, I don't apologize for it. <laughs> and I think more people should know that that's how much I charge yeah. so that they can charge the same amount. We need to up the amount. It's so important to be, to be transparent about, about fees within, especially within an industry that's like quite closed off about, about those kind of things often. People like to mess you around as well. They like to undercut you and be like oh really that's how much you charge oh maybe I'll go to this person and then because you're desperate you'll say oh well I'll you know it's like no I'm not reducing your fees you don't want to work with me you don't want to work with me <laughs> like it I'll lump it I will go elsewhere <laughs> I have a bit more respect for the people I work with than that but you get what I mean I've just um seen the time and I can't believe mm. how fast this has flown by <laughs> I feel like um a part two it could it could also happen in a in a future series. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to talk to you again. <laughs> but one thing I wanted to also mention because I also want to say how much I love. Well, two things that one was in your um, bio, and one is like your sort of. I guess it's like a strap line under the storytelling composer, which is the. Exquisite music in collaboration with extraordinary stories in service of the world and its people. And I just want to say, I just love that so much. I think it's amazing. Thank you. And could you maybe say a little bit about the kinds of stories that, that, you, that you like to tell? Yes. In one word, anti-oppression. The opera that myself and Jennifer Farmer have just presented at Rougher Opera um, it's called Belly Back. It's exploring the idea of softness when you exist in a black neurodivergent, politically feminized body. When we are taught from a young age to be aware and to be hard in order to be strong. Mm. But then if you have barriers, you also then don't experience joy and pleasure and 
you're unable to be fallible <laughs> and to grow. And so what does softening look like? How does that feel within your body? How does that feel when it it feels dangerous and vulnerable? And how also can we honor our bodies as sacred and create sacred safe places through just being there ourselves rather than a new kind of you know in, 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 rather than sort of determining that a space is sacred I mean that that story Jennifer we, we spoke for about eight months of like basically all of this kind of cloud of stuff um, that we wanted to explore and then she just beautifully just narrowed it down into like this one kind of 20 minute libretto that I just went oh my god you've encompassed everything so like streamlined like wow she's amazing go check her out and um and then like I said the music came within within a week I'd written it it was it was even like three sessions it came so that kind of that kind of story stories that center people stories that look at how we can be ourselves how we can engage with other people as people how we can love and care and also bring justice for the harm that we have experienced and it's not meant to leave anybody out my stories yeah they might not be centering some people but it's not because I don't want those people to ex experience them it's because I center somebody else and yeah it's an unraveling anti-oppressive unraveling of what I've always known to be true and what I'm now learning that is new. And I feel that this is something that we all have to do because we are living in a world where the climate crisis isn't upon us. And, you know, I'm someone, I definitely put my head in the sand. I had postnatal depression that was brought on by the climate crisis. I have a very severe reaction when I think about it. So I can't engage with this. Oh, we could just bring technology and we could bring this. And it's like, actually, no, we need to look back at our indigenous populations that are still existing and who have existed in harmony with this world for millennia and we came and destroyed them and now we're thinking we have the answers no <laughs> there's an untapped wisdom within yes. the indigenous cultures that i think uh, is well certainly in the in the western world is is ignored because of the normalization of colonization and what that then brought on for mm -hmm. modernizing the world it, it was also mm. something I, I recently thought about I was in the, the states a few weeks ago and we went to visit some of the Navajo uh, reservations and one of the things that they mm. talk about a lot there is how they lived in harmony with the weather with the earth with the seasons for years for hundreds for thousands of years and it's something that we in the 21st century and as a result of, of colonization have ignored and have now mm. we don't know how to do it but we need to listen to those people who are mm. who are being who are the most threatened now by by the climate crisis and and we need to do it in a way that's not once again taking exactly like we have to go to them on our knees, metaphorically, obviously, we have to, or, or even physically, yes, we have to go to them and say, you know, we have to go to them, apologize, 
reparations mm. and pass on the privilege so that they can teach us. It's not about saying, oh, they know how to do it. We should talk to them and then we should do that. We have to do it with respect. We have to be humble. We have to not appropriate. It can't be an appropriation. Totally. That's the only way forwards that I can see. And and, and so my my focus on music is about unraveling ourselves, unraveling what we know to be no in inverted commas, what to be true, so that we can then start to listen. Again, it comes back to what you mentioned of rejecting the this is how this has always been done. My very last question that I always ask people is what would you say to someone who is in search of their own authentic artistry? There's lots of things that I would say, but I don't want to give advice. (laughs) But obviously you're asking me for advice. I'm not sure how to put it into words. What I'm trying to, what I'm thinking is that like, I couldn't have been taught or given the advice to go on the journey that I have been on. Not one person has put me on this journey. I mean, I've I've put myself on this journey. We'll put it that way. I will take responsibility. I've put myself on this journey. So I think the first thing you have to do is put yourself on this journey. But I have gained so much wisdom from talking to people that I respect and questioning them whether I question them in person or whether I question what I've learned from them for myself. I've learned so much from owning my own experiences of harm and owning my own experiences of joy. The joy is so important because it's easy to fall into the harm, but I don't want to talk about victimization because I really hate it when people, you can't be victim. It's, it's you, you exist in a binary or you exist in a multiplicity. And I think if you can learn how to jump between those and to explore all of your feelings and to understand that all your feelings are valid without doing harm to somebody else or acknowledging that if you do do harm, you need to atone for that. I don't know if there's any one word out, any one thing that I've said there that kind of sums it up, but my journey has definitely felt like it started sort of nine years ago when my son was born we he didn't survive it started with him because I had my head in the sand but three years ago I did it more and that was because I was trying to be a composer and I was going down the business route and I was like I need to do this and I need to change my mindset and then a lot of that kind of worked but also then didn't work and I experienced more difficult things because I was going for what I wanted and I experienced you know people's responses towards me whether that was harmful or positive I started to live. I think that's what I'm trying to say is I started to live. I started to go for what I wanted rather than choosing an easy, safe life, which felt unpleasant. And I think you have to live in your own way. But mm. it's, yeah, it's 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 choosing a life of learning. I think it is in a roundabout way. <laughs> five minutes coming to that one sentence choosing a life of learning I I loved listening to everything you had to say I found myself I found myself really like reflecting and and so yeah I think whether it was roundabout or not I loved hearing what you had to say oh thank you
Ella, it's been it's a real joy to to speak to you today. Thank you. Thank you so much for oh. for giving me your time and and sharing your experiences here. Thank you. It's been lovely to talk. I haven't done a podcast recording in a while and it's just reminded me how much I love it. And especially speaking to your questions as well. It's just been absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Do you want to let people know where they might be able to find you, find your music? get in contact with you everything is through my website ellajarmanpinto.com pretty much everything is on there i'm on instagram my insta handle is ella.jarmanpinto um, and i'm also on facebook you can find me elsewhere but i don't update them because i don't like it all that much um but ultimately yeah my website takes you through a journey of kind of what i think um how i feel the music i write the stuff that i've done how you can work with me and um I also have a mailing list. You can sign up to that and I email semi-regularly and you can kind of hear about my activism on there and also my general ideas on creativity. Um, And you get a 5% discount on all my scores on my website if you sign up to my mailing list. So yeah, that's me. Amazing. All of the details are there. (laughs) Thank you, Ella. Thank you so much. Ella is such a tour de force and I honestly love talking to her for this podcast episode. We laughed so much and it was such a fun episode to record. She's so passionate, determined and eloquent in talking about what she does and why. There is such a drive behind her work and really amazing to hear about what authenticity means and looks like for her, as well as how can it change too. I think that's a really important thing to acknowledge. What a great chat we had. Do go and check her out on Instagram or on her website to find out more about her and to support her work. That's it for today. Join us next Friday for the following instalment of the Authentic Artistry podcast. Bye.